We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. And Sam, was that the ugliest win that you've seen the Suns win this season? See, it's funny you ask me that, Mike, because I was going to come on here and ask you if that was just the most convincing Suns <laughs> basketball win we've ever seen. So, you know, it's interesting how we view the game a little bit differently. In, in a way, it's both <laughs> of those things, actually, to be honest, because if you could win a game that's that ugly that um i mean there was a stretch for like six minutes with nobody scoring basically if you could win a game like that then uh that is actually pretty convincing that means that you uh have the ability of fighting through something as ugly as that right i mean i guess i i would (laughs) i wouldn't go that far that like this was this was not fun to watch uh, maybe it was fun to watch. Maybe you guys know casual fans at home. Ask them if they had fun watching this game. I don't know. Maybe there's something appealing about a just a defensive kind of slugfest. This was not a fun game to watch. Um, 34 right. points total in the second half, a decreasing number of points with each quarter. They scored 29 in the first, 21 in the second, mm-hmm. 19 in the third, and then uh, 15 points in just a horrible Horrible fourth quarter. And and look, to the point you were just making, Mike, they they won. They're up three one. Their defense was on point. I think we'll talk about their defense. Maybe we can maybe we could start there, because like that's the only good thing. But their offense is was atrocious. It was atrocious on yeah. basically all yeah. all fronts, with with the exception of like one or two nice things I can say. They, there was no execution. Um I don't even know if the game plan was necessarily there. I have some bones to pick with with that as well. It was bad. This may have been the most important Suns win since since two games the nineties. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because the the Suns team in twenty ten, 
that was in the Western Conference Finals, only won two. I think the last time a Suns team had three wins in the Western Conference Finals was in 1993 when they made the finals. And forgive me if I'm getting this incorrect, but I don't believe they've been to a Game 7 in the Western Conference Finals at least since 1993 because that's what it would take to lose and not make the finals. So as far as I know, this may have been the most important Suns win since Charles Barkley. And it's funny how when that happens, it's an 80-84 to Brock fight. Neither team can score. Devin Booker fouls out. Chris Paul has another uncharacteristically bad shooting night. And really, I mean, the, the game was won not from three. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Both teams combined shot, a, I think, 17% from the three-point line. Disgusting. A ton of free throws were shot, a ton of them, by both teams. 21 uh, by the Suns, 32 by the Clippers, and the Clippers shot 65% from the free throw line. So in a lot of ways, this game was won at the free throw line, not by the Suns hitting them, although they needed to, more so by the Clippers missing them over and over and over again. Okay, you're making me want to, you're giving me too much to research now because you're making me want to look up two things on the fly. The first is, is Paul George having a Giannis-level free throw drop? In uh, <laughs> Well, okay, he's shooting 86% in the playoffs. Not bad, mm-hmm. not bad at all. Um, he was at 87% in the regular season. That's not really a drop at all. But I think it is interesting. He's had a couple of these stinker games in a row. And again tonight, 12 for 18, had a couple of opportunities to keep keep the game close. Not that they should have ever been in that position in the first place because they should have just hit their open threes. But a couple of, couple of missed chances for playoff P. Um, in this one, the other one, um, just talk for a second while I plug Chris Paul's numbers into a true shooting calculator because I want to sure. see something. <laughs> Well, one thing I'll say is, is in a lot of ways, this game, even in the stretch where nobody scored, when it was locked at 71 to 70 for like five, five minutes straight, I thought the Suns were getting a lot of good shots. There were a lot of times where Chris Paul, exactly what we asked for in our post-game episode after the last game, where he came off around those screens and was shooting the open mid-range shot with Zubach out of position. And it was just going out. Uh, there was also the drop-off pass to DeAndre Ayton where Paul George reached in and got it at the last second. They were making smart decisions, including a floater by Cameron Payne. These were all open shots and good shots, and they were just not going in. So in a lot of ways, I think adjustment-wise, I mean, it was clear in the first quarter, but the Suns made a lot of the right adjustments offensively to get the right shots in. And uh, in this game, for both teams, shots were just not dropping. So... This uh, Chris Paul, 36% true shooting in this game, where he had 18 points, Yikes. 22 field goals. For, for those who, like, don't follow religiously an advanced number like true shooting like I do, like, if you have a 40, if you have a sub-50% true shooting, that's bad. If you have a sub-45%, that's, like, atrociously bad. 36%, it's only a single game. Like, no one puts that up and is still an NBA player over a full season. But that's that's a whole level of horrific that's, like, kind of... <laughs> just in its own separate realm it's like unheard of and i think overall what did we see tonight isn't it it's frequently said about the playoffs and i think this is a notion that when we talked about we had you know episodes where we talked about the playoffs and and kind of themes that are specific to the playoffs during the regular season right mike i rejected this notion that jump shooting teams can't succeed in the playoffs i had previously said that there's this there's this belief that 
one of the stats that you have to look at when you judge a team's merit, its ability to get deep into the playoffs and succeed, is their ability to get to the free throw line because it means they're generating shots at the rim, the highest quality shots in all of basketball, and those shots, when all else fails in the playoffs, those shots will always be there. I said at the time, well, if you're going to do that, you have to, because we know about the Suns. They have always been a jump shooting team. Jump shooting team, not necessarily in the, you know, let's shoot 53s a game like the Rockets type of way, but just they shoot either mid-range shots or threes, but they don't get to the rim a lot. They don't have traditional slashers they don't have guys who get to the free throw line 10 plus times a game and i said at the time in the regular season that doesn't bother me because these guys have attained a certain level of consistency with their jump shooting that i think is unusual particularly with booker and paul in the mid-range and also i said at the time i remember if uh if you're gonna discount the suns for that you need to discount the clippers too because everyone's talking about the clippers as a contending team and they don't get to the free throw line either compared to some of the other teams compared to the lakers compared to the bucks so here we are, and this is a playoff series that is very much testing that. We, we saw that push to the edge tonight with two teams yeah. that traditionally people say shouldn't be in this position because neither of them can get to the goddamn rim. One of the only buckets the Suns got in the last few minutes was Chris Paul. First of all, I have a, a whole lot to say about just what the hell the Suns are doing in the first 10 seconds of each possession each half-court possession in the first place. But this was actually a possession that was ran well. The Suns got the switch they wanted. Chris Paul was on Zubats, and he actually got to the rim, which was not something that neither he nor Booker were trying to do for 90% of the game. It was tough. Yeah. It was tough. And and just to turn it into a question, Mike, because I'm just kind of spitballing now, but without pushing too far ahead, the Suns are up 3-1. They still have a lot of work to do just to get by in this series. But let, let's say they go ahead and play the Bucks in the finals. What do you think about what do you think about that idea in general? Because it, like the Bucks don't scare me in the way they play a lot of the time. I think they play really stupid. One thing you can say for the Bucks going forward, though, the Bucks have a guy who gets to the rim at will when he wants to. They have the best guy in the NBA at doing that, and the Suns yep. don't have that. And 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 if the Suns shoot like this in a game against the Bucks, it's probably going to go a lot differently than it went against the Clippers. What do you think? Um, the Bucks have done some impressive things, at least in the last game against the Hawks, but they also have collapsed pretty dramatically a couple of times during these playoffs. And I think that Bud has gotten better every round, but I'm going to just stop us right there and not even go there yet. <laughs> I don't really, I feel slightly superstitious about that. Uh, so I don't really want to get too far into sort of analyzing the Bucks. I'll say this, uh, they don't switch often and they kind of are insistent on playing drop coverage and that usually means a good it means good things for the Suns um so and they don't really have a guy like Patrick Beverly although Drew Holiday is a guy he's a who guy can play defense he's a guy he's not quite like Patrick Beverly in that uh he can ex- expend all of his energy on defense the way Patrick Beverly can because you don't have to worry about him on offense but one thing I did look up while you were talking Paul George is shooting 69 percent from the free throw line against the Suns only. Right. So that that percentage that you brought up was 80, was it 83% or something like that? 86, not including 86%. tonight in the playoffs, which means he shot really well in the in the past two series for sure. But then a massive drop exactly. off, massive drop off in the games we've seen uh, most massive closely. Massive drop off including 65% in the fourth quarter and that includes that includes this game tonight. So it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting just to think about that. I mean it's it's not it's it's just people give him a lot of shit 
for not really coming through in the clutch. <laughs> so uh, the fact that he's struggling from the free throw line um, is something that the Suns deserve no credit for. <laughs> I hate to say it as, as easily as that, but all of the Suns' wins have been close. The one blowout was the win that the Clippers ended up with. Um, so those close wins that the Suns ended up eking out has a lot to do with Paul George, and they need to play better, I think, in order to have a chance to really kind of have that sort of game clinching game five, which they can do, right? The Suns can play a lot better than they have been, especially Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is the one who's just not scoring at his normal rate, just as you brought up. And I think that's going to be the real difference maker going forward. But yeah, the, that free throw percentage is not, it's not shocking, but it is crazy to think about how good he must have shot in the previous round to have that percentage considering he's only shooting sub 70% so you, far in this series you could have brought 42 year old ancient bones or dust jamal crawford back tonight and put him in chris paul's place and he would have he maybe would have <laughs> shot better he maybe would have given you seven for 22 instead of six for 20 he could have had 50 we've seen <laughs> that's what people say right he, he could, could have had 50. He could drop 50 he could have had 50 so now when you see on your timeline takes about you know oh jamal crawford he's a dog bro he should still be in the league maybe i believe it now because i just saw chris paul uh serve up a couple of a couple of historic stinkers in the playoffs we really need him to step up (laughs) going forward they cannot continue to shoot like this and so here's the thing do you want to start with the good or the bad defense or offense which are we getting into now i'm down for either feel free to shoot and i'll and i'll respond let's talk about offense they need to fix it uh because defense, there's great things to say, I think. But let's talk about offense. It does not bother me, personally, that the Suns are a slow team. It doesn't... Well, well, let me rephrase that. It doesn't usually bother me that the Suns are a slow team. I've watched the entire regular season. I did not have any notion about the Suns were going to go into the playoffs being a fast team. That's not what they are. We know what they are. But, two things. First of all, you need to know when to pick up the pace. There were opportunities in the fourth quarter where the Suns had missed 10 straight of those goddamn mid-range shots, and they were up by one possession, and they got a rebound, and guys were leaking out. It could have been Jay Crowder. It could have been Mikhail Bridges. I don't care who it was, but guys are leaking out, and Chris Paul still just kept the ball, and he was like, nope, we're going to run it down. We're going to run it down. We're going to get into our offense. We're going to wait until there's eight or nine seconds left to set the first screen. And it was just garbage basketball. It was garbage basketball. I don't care. I understand the general premise of when when you have a small lead, you can't generate that much offense. Let's let's slow the game down. Let's not allow them to catch up. You want fewer possessions. I get it. But when you can't generate anything, when you go six minutes straight without scoring a bucket, you need to take whatever you can get. And sometimes that means pushing the pace and getting a fast break bucket. The Suns just didn't do that in the second half. So that's my gripe number one. But my gripe number two, it doesn't, It's not inherently a terrible idea to play slow basketball. We know the Suns do. But if you're going to do that, you need to use the shot clock in a clever way. And that does not mean what I just said. Slowly, (laughs) methodically working into your offense to where DeAndre Ayton comes up and sets a high screen with nine seconds left on the shot clock. And that's the first thing that happens. Guys need to... The first 10 to 15 seconds of every possession is crucial. Even if Chris Paul dribbles the ball for the entire time, there, there need to be... There needs to be off-ball movement. If Chris Paul does not dribble the ball for the entire time, there need to be quick passes. We, we've heard Monty talk about pace, not in the traditional way of getting transition offense, but pace within a half-court offense, the quick decisions, obviously. That, and regardless of what defense the Clippers are in for a second, because I don't care if they're dropping, switching, whatever, the Suns' offense was, was just not up to par. 
in that fourth quarter. You can play slow. You can wait until the last five seconds to get your shot off if that's how you're going to play, but you need to play smarter. And and I, I just had no idea what the hell they were doing for a large stretch. And it, it didn't just come down to missing shots because, yes, they were missing shots. They were getting some good quality looks. I think you pointed out they were getting better quality looks than the Clippers. That might be true, but yeah. it was it was, it was was disgusting. It, it just looked gross. Now, I want to start off by saying people in general – tend to discount the difference that how tired they are makes on the game. Uh, you know, the re- there's a reason why the offense looks so crisp in the first and then not so crisp in the fourth. I, I just think that we tend to discount how that affects the game because it's not sort of measurable by us. We're just sort of watching it with our eyes. Uh, so I just, I, I'll say that too. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, there is... He's very turnover averse, obviously, Chris Paul. And and you want to win the turnover battle. The thing is, they didn't. It was 14-10 to 10 in this game. The Suns lost that turnover battle, including four by Chris Paul, five by Devin Booker, three by DeAndre, and the rest of them it was only two uh, by Mikel and, let's see, Cameron Payne. So not a ton of turnovers outside of that. But like if those turnovers are coming from your three main guys, the guys that play close to 40 minutes or more, uh, that's tough. And I think you're right that they need to do... De- I understand the idea, right, of the clock being on your side. The clock is your friend when you have a lead, which the Suns, by the way, had the lead the entire game. (laughs) At no point in this game did the Clippers have a lead, even though it didn't feel like that in any way. That is a fact. They had a lead the entire game. So going into that fourth quarter, five minutes left, I understand that. But you're right. I think it too often came down to ISOing. I think that has to do with how they're defending it, one, and I think the Suns, for a while, I actually liked their game plan of attacking the right mismatch. They, they brought Zubac out to the perimeter. They were trying to get Marcus Morris or Nicholas Batum out to the perimeter to guard as much as possible, get Patrick Beverly off Devin Booker. Um, but that's going to result in some bad shots sometimes. And, and I think in some ways, I'll be honest, Sam, we're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> they, they can still win with that. And sometimes that is going to be the best that they're going to get. This is not a bad team. This is a very, very good team. And too often they're going to take those kinds of shots. I, I really, I really just think that. Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. They're going to go as far as their stars take them, right? Like it's not like Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges are going to win you the game by putting the ball on the floor, but it's just, you need easy buckets where you can get them. And I don't know. They just, they just didn't good enough. They didn't do a good enough job of going to counters in this game it was just too predictable i mean we're in game four now the clippers know what the suns run and they were going into those elbow sets like they were they were going through the motions but nothing was happening it was just frustrating it was very frustrating look you're not gonna like this but mikhail bridges can't create for himself at all and we were hoping he would be able to at this right but it's not he he showed he showed some flashes on that of that throughout this uh, throughout the end of the season and the second half of the season, but the fact that the Suns can only ha- they only have two guys that can create can create for themselves, and the way right. that the Clippers play defense with the type of personnel that they have means that it's mostly going to come from those two but, guys. But and Mike, it'd be nice, I know, I know, if Mikael could do it, I know. and it'd be nice if Aiton could do it, but they can't. Okay, but you're not saying anything. I don't know. I know Mikael is not going to literally create the offense. The point is, if you put yourself in a situation where you bring down the clock to nine seconds. And then you give the ball to Mikhail Bridges. Well, of course he's not going to do anything with it. You've shot yourself in the foot and put your, you've put yourself into a corner where now only Chris Paul and Devin Booker can create any of the offense. What happened to the... Remember the Cam, the Cam Johnson cuts from the first game? Like, what happened to that? 
where has that been for the past two games? The off-ball movement, the types... Like, I don't expect these guys to literally create the offense for themselves, but it just hasn't been an option. It, it hasn't even... We haven't even seen any of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I do agree. I just think that at this point, I think we're seeing more than any other time, we're seeing what only having two guys that can create offense. Besides Cameron Payne, I'll give him credit. It just wasn't, it wasn't a Cameron Payne game, which we can... We're not going to fault him for that. He's coming back from an ankle injury. He had five points. I think he was still relatively good, but still ended up shooting two for eight. But I think we're seeing that, right? We're seeing the fact that the Suns only really have two guys that can do that. And they both took 22 shots. Devin Booker ended with 25 points. Chris Paul with 18. And that the difference there is the ability to get to the free throw line, which Devin Booker did 11 times, which makes a massive difference. And Chris Paul still did relatively well in this game, right? With seven free throws. Never... On drives, they're usually somehow he's probably the best in the league. Those were fouled sixty five feet away from the rim. Look, I'll give Chris Paul <laughs> credit for for getting fouled sixty five feet away from the rim, like you're saying. He put the Clippers into the bonus early. However, four of those seven free throws were in the last thirty seconds. I don't exactly credit yeah, him that's for, a good point. for putting pressure on the rim in this game because he didn't. A hundred percent, he just doesn't do it, and and Devin Booker does, and that's another reason why you can't really get. Uh, those six fouls. Let's take a quick break and let's talk about defense when we come back because I actually think this was a really interesting game defensively. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Sam, I talked about this on Twitter. I posted a clip. Go find it. I'll, I'll, I'll retweet it again or something. Uh, the Suns were doing some interesting things defensively in this game. The main thing was on Zubot's pick and rolls on the wings, which they ran a lot of in game three. They were icing, and once again, this is forcing the guards to the baseline, basically, and denying their ability to get to the center of the court and uh, stopping the ball from rotating essentially to Zubac as much as possible. And it made a huge difference in this game. Zubac still ended with 13 points. He played the most minutes he's ever played, 40 minutes, but he didn't have those 10 free throws that he had in the previous game. And a lot of that, I think, came from the seven offensive rebounds that he ended up getting. Um, that was, I think, the most the biggest difference as far as strategic difference that I noticed but what do you think of the Suns defense in this one I, I mean I really like the ice observation I'd kind of just want to give you the floor there do you want to I, I imagine most people don't know what ice is you, you need to it's like a basketball coaching yeah. term do you want to just explain I, you explained really quickly there but do you want to 
get into yeah, details a little the bit? Yeah, I think the best way to, to describe it, and I posted one of Cameron Johnson, but I think the guy doing it most often was Mikael Bridges because Mikael Bridges was guarding uh, the guys with the balls on the ball screens more often than Cameron Johnson was. But the example that I posted, I'll describe that. That'll help. Uh, Reggie Jackson is basically at the left wing. He wants to go right. So that means that Zubac is setting the screen on the right side. And what Cameron Johnson does, instead of trying to fight over that screen and giving him the center of the court, he sets up in front of Zubac and just doesn't let uh, Reggie Jackson go right. So Reggie Jackson is forced to go left and ends up on the left side of the court. That allows two defenders, which was Aiton and Cameron Johnson in this scenario, to corral Reggie Jackson and stops the pass from easily flowing to the middle of the floor. There are counters to that, and I think Reggie Jackson did a few interesting things, either forcing a switch with DeAndre Ayton, mm-hmm. which I think DeAndre Ayton did well, or properly pulling up from mid-range if you can come around the screen fast enough to get the edge on Cameron Johnson. Uh, but I think more than more than that, the Suns did a really good job just sort of making sure that the passing lanes were closed off to Zubac as much as possible and stopping Reggie Jackson from getting to the center of the floor. The Clippers did counter by setting more pick and rolls at the top of the key, sort of center court, which makes you can't really ice from there. Uh, but, but I think shutting off those side pick and rolls was really important for the Suns in this game and, and made a big difference. Totally. So, so to be clear, ice isn't so much of a... It's not its own pick-and-roll defensive coverage as much as it's a subset of drop. When we talk about the big men playing in drop, you've got Cameron... You can only run it on a side pick-and-roll. It's not relevant when you're in the middle of the floor. The entire concept is you're trying to keep the ball away from the middle of the floor because if you let a guy get downhill in the middle of the floor, he's got more angles, he's got more passing lanes. If you can force him just to the baseline, you've cut off half of those instantly. That's the idea. And so when you see Cam Johnson dart out and, and kind of close off... Um, in, in the case you were talking about not allowing Reggie Jackson to drive right, he he kind of plays him at an acute angle, right? And he's not so much... Uh, there there are forms of defense, most forms of defense, frankly, where it's like you're trying to play point of attack defense, you're stopping penetration, you're, you're keeping the ball in front. This is not so much about keeping the ball in front as much as it's funneling. So one of the potential downsides of ice is you, you kind of concede the lane a little bit. You are funneling towards the big man. You need to have a lot of faith in the big man to um, be up to, you know, be up to his chops behind you and seal off the lane so that so that you know the guard can't drive right um so you know in some cases like you were saying reggie jackson was able to just kind of drive quickly and pull up for a midi and he was able to make those it's like you're allowing the penetration there you're conceding that to him but you're willing to bet that the trade-off is you're forcing him towards the baseline he's not going to easily be able to make that pass to zubats because you've closed it off with weak side defenders and now all of a sudden Reggie Jackson's kind of stuck in this corner where it's like, go ahead, dude, if you want the mid-range, you can you can take it. We're willing to yeah. bet that that's a bad shot. And so that's why the Suns went to that. It was, the Suns know at this point in the series where the Clippers' offense is going to come from. They know that yeah. Paul George can make difficult shots. Well, tonight, and for a couple games in a row, Paul George hasn't made difficult shots. But in theory, right. he's the guy who, he can go to ISO. He can. It doesn't matter how you guard Paul George. He can make just difficult, contested shots you know, no matter what, but their number two guy has to be Reggie Jackson. Their number two guy has been Reggie Jackson throughout this series. And he's been amazing. And he's, he prefers the side pick and rolls, whereas Paul George likes it from the top of the key. So the Suns the Suns basically went in saying, 
let's cut off Reggie Jackson. And then if Paul George hits difficult shots, well, we're willing to bet that Devin Booker and Chris Paul can hit more difficult shots and we'll win the game. Now, as it turned out, none of those three hit difficult shots tonight, but the Suns still won the game because they cut off In fact, they cut off Reggie Jackson. They didn't allow him. The, the most difficult shot was free throws <laughs> for the Clippers. <laughs> yeah. What should be the easiest shot of the game? They struggled with what should be the easiest one. I just want to quickly say, I live pretty close to the arena most people know i've said it before on the podcast drop your address uh in in my neighborhood right now my neighbors are setting off fireworks uh just to give an example of where the city is at i think where suns fans are at right now they're in it's possible you guys might even hear a few because they're not too far if you hear a pop if you hear an explosion it was a firework could always uh, the, be the city is could always be bullets where i live but i don't know <laughs> the city is excited they're setting off fireworks in my neighborhood and and i'm close to the arena so pretty fun uh but just on that point uh reggie jackson eight for 24 tonight two for nine from three i was waiting for this kind of game for reggie jackson where he finally shot more shots than he had points this was the first game of the series 20 points to 24 shots and same or I, I shouldn't say the same with Paul George, but Paul George 5 for 20 and ended with 23 points. Why? 18 free throws uh, by Paul George alone, almost matching the entirety of what the Suns shot. Um, the Suns have to find a better way to corral him without fouling uh, because I think if you're shooting 5 for 20, it's hard to judge that, right? Because if you got fouled on six more shots, right, those could have been in, I guess you could say. It's an efficient night for him, relatively efficient. Mm. Um, similar to Devin Booker's night where he shot 8 for 22, but he ended with 25 points, more points than shots. That's relatively it's actually I should say it's very efficient for this game because nobody was efficient it's the two essentially the two most efficient players outside of uh DeAndre Ayton who just continues to be excellent by the way we should touch on DeAndre Ayton. Well, I was gonna get one of there. the best games one of the best games he's played right well, I was gonna say there's only one guy I can like effusively praise in this game and the entire defensive coverage you were just talking about uh yeah. falls to smithereens if if that guy's not holding it up a hundred percent I mean he like what can you even say dude first of all nine offensive rebounds what's his career high 22 rebounds what's his career 19 high? points 22 rebounds i'm looking it up i think he's had an 11 rebound offensive rebound game i've looked this up before really? if i'm not mistaken it was against denver in the regular season i'm gonna say well you look that up i'll just read his stats 19 points 22 rebounds including nine offensive rebounds one steal four blocks which is huge and only four fouls never at any point of this game was he in foul trouble? Not, And also, more importantly than that, I think, he played 41 minutes this game, and he That's had crazy. to, right? The Suns needed him to play 41 minutes in this game. And and look, they're forcing Zubac to play, right? At this point, you can confidently say Ty Lue does not trust his team to go small for long stretches against DeAndre Ayton. That's why Zubac ended up with the most minutes he's ever played. I wouldn't be surprised outside of uh, overtime games. If this was the most minutes that DeAndre Ayton's played in his career, and even with the three turnovers, which I don't even remember, like they're not even in my mind. I, I remember one that, of them. I remember one of them, but I, I would say that he was just almost flawless in his execution of what they needed him to do in this game. The, Phenomenal by him. So first of all, he's had ten offensive rebounds twice. It's amazing that you even remember the one against Denver. That was his rookie season. And then he had 10 yeah. against Chicago his sophomore season. I was going to say the one turnover I remember was 
um, CP3 worked the switch, so Aiden had a small on him. I forget oh, who yes, it was. Oh, yes, yes. Paul George. And, oh, yeah, Paul George, a small. Re- swiped in. Relatively speaking. Well, Paul George was the help defense that came in and swiped And And Paul gave him the ball, and I was like, yes, finally, give him the ball. Let's let's see. Can he do something? Because at this point, I, I'm not usually of the minds that Aiden can create his own offense. Usually I'm like, just let Booker and Paul go to work. They haven't failed me many times before. But at this point in the game, I was like, all right, let's see what he can do. We need something. And he promptly dribbled the ball off his knee um, or had it yes. swiped off his knee. And I was like, all right, it's just going to be one of those nights. <laughs> just- but I think we should point out the reason why they can't force it into him that much is because the speed of the guys on the Clippers and their help defense, it's going to be there in a flash. Like Aiton caught the ball and Paul George was swiping within a second and a half. Like it did not take long at all. For that to happen, that's why it's difficult to get it to him. Right. The ideal scenario for DeAndre Ayton, which happened a few times in this game, is he touches it for a second before going up, and that's either a lob at the rim or off the offensive rebound, and that's what he did really, really well. By the way, I'm going to I'm gonna get on you for this. You said the DeAndre Ayton stands were right. First of all, they were right that DeAndre Ayton is amazing and he was going to show out in the playoffs, but you still can't force it to him. You still need no, to get it to him in the right way. No, I know. And that's the main thing they're wrong about. He had 19 points, and he had 19 points in the right way for the Suns to be successful in this game. Because if, if they forced it to him in the post like they did in that play, they would be on him and swiping at no, that I, ball in, in, a, in a heartbeat. I 100% agree. And here's the thing about the eight and stands is like, I will never apologize for the fact that I was presented with new information about a guy and changed my mind. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. The Aiton stands, oh, yeah. the Aiton stands, and I don't blame them for this necessarily, but like, they have always thought the same thing. <laughs> they have always, well, can I, can they I have just, always thought that Aiton was amazing from day one, and that he had no flaws. And it's like, if, can I defend them though? <laughs> I mean, sure, be my guest. Okay. So I don't think I think that their gripe was more commonly with non-Suns fans than with Suns fans. It just became somewhat of a of a civil war with people where. Uh, Suns fans at times were not allowed to criticize him in any way or things that were this is uh, phrases that were phrased in ways like we commonly did were Aiton needs to do this we would like it if he did this more were commonly uh, confused and turned into criticisms when they weren't necessarily criticisms they were just analysis but I think the reason that they were pushed to where they were right they became the Joker was because of of the amount of non-Suns fans that so uh. quickly would comment that he's a bust every single time that he played well or had a relatively mediocre game, right? Every, I don't know, every time you see DeAndre and you go in the comments, there were a bunch of fans of other teams. Bust, 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 That bust. happens with imagine? every team, Mike. I think if you talk to a lot of them, it, their gripe was with other Suns fans. Like, there was, there's a reason it was a whole eventually st- it stupid was. <laughs> fucking Avengers Civil War t- type deal. Um, <laughs> I still give them, I still defend them a little bit because I think the the obvious pushback on somebody saying that a player is is a bust because that's the absolute extreme on one end which was always wrong is going to be the absolute extreme on the other end that's all i mean I, i'm not surprised that that came out of that that's how the internet tends to work yeah we got meta i, I don't know why we're even talking about we got to get he had an amazing we got to get a little meta every game he's been amazing i mean the, i don't have enough good things to say about his performance in the playoffs just awesome yeah. just awesome um can we touch on one hey, more what, thing before we go? Is it Tory Craig not playing? Yeah, I, Abdul Nader okay. played. What the fuck was that? Do you want? <laughs> what? I feel like that went kind of uh, under the radar because of the whole craziness of the second half. Well, I'll be honest. When Abdul, Abdul Nader came in and played, I thought, okay, they're not going to play Sarich. But then Sarich came in immediately afterwards. I thought, okay, they have the opportunity to play Nader and Craig, right? And they can go small and kind of see what they can do. 
against those guys in small ball minutes. By the way, Craig did end up playing like a few seconds at the end of the game to foul <laughs> when the, when we needed fouls. Um, but yeah, Abdul Nader, I, look, he's coming back from injury. By the way, Abdul Nader's healthy. If you guys missed it, uh, they cleared him right before this game. I think in some ways it makes sense to play Nader because the Clippers were playing those sort of three guard and sometimes four guard lineups against the Suns, which were just killing the Suns with speed. And Abdul Nader has the athleticism. He has the speed to keep up with those guys. So I think it makes sense to give him a try. And something I retweeted before this game was a clip by our friend Jackson Frank, who showed that the Clippers were just not guarding Craig at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that matters too if you're not going to get guarded at all and he struggles to cut sometimes he doesn't always cut at the right times uh the three comes and goes and he wasn't really closing out there were times you say hey 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 Mm -hmm. the three comes and goes man shooting damn near 50 percent in the playoffs no and and so it is and and it's it's been here and the three coming and going for him is the same with all the other wings for the suns i think so it's like not that huge of a difference but I think the difference is you guard Jay Crowder, you guard Mikael Bridges, right? You guard Cameron Johnson, but they're just not guarding Craig. And they don't trust him enough to swing the ball to him. Um, I have a feeling Nader won't play in the next game, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. What do you think? I mean, I I would be a total hypocrite if I completely pans this because uh, after all, I said the Suns don't get to the rim. They need to get to the rim. Abdul Nader gets to the rim. That's like the one thing he does well, in my opinion. That, that's the one thing he does well. He does a bunch of other things average, but the one thing he does well is get to the rim. He at least tries to put his head down uh, and and drive the ball. He's he's a Kelly Oubre light in many ways. Uh, I mean, really, his his game is remarkably similar to Kelly's because once he gets right. there, he's not passing, and that's kind and of neither was Craig though. I don't know, dude. You know? I think Craig is. I, I think Craig is better at literally everything else than Abdul Nader, and so it was puzzling. I mean, to me. he's got the size. Too, it was like the, 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 he gets to the rim. He didn't get to the rim tonight. He shot out for one in five minutes. I, I don't blame him if it was jitters or, or or what. Maybe he's still not fully healthy on that knee. But if he's in there, then I think he has one purpose, which is to get the ball to the rim. And everything else, I mean, yeah, he needs to be long on defense, but, like, he got lost a couple of times, miscommunicated switches with guys, put DeAndre Ayton in a position where he had to foul. That happened a couple of times in just the five minutes he was in the game. Um, So I don't think his defense was great. I don't think his shooting is remarkably better than Craig's, especially not when Craig is in the midst of a hot streak. Like, in my opinion, Torrey's played really well in the playoffs. He's gotten offensive rebounds, too. He's earned those minutes. And I didn't really get it, but, but we'll see going forward. I, I understand it a little bit. Um, I think one of, I forget who posted it, but I saw a thread of Craig struggling to close out on some three-point shooters and some threes getting hit on him. Um, something that I did not lo- notice live, uh, otherwise I think you and I would have talked about it in our last episode, but if that if that's something that happened, I guess it's not a surprise uh, that you try something else in this game, somebody with a little bit more speed. I don't think Nader was bad. I'll just say it right now. Um, I think it's a little weird, but I I don't know. I don't think he was that bad. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play again. By the way, I just looked it up out of curiosity. Craig has one assist in uh, against the Clippers. So <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> just to put it out there. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> uh, all right, you got anything else? No, I think we can end this one here. Let's uh, let's go all back right. and win. Let's get this series over with. My God, bring on we'll the Bucks. We'll be back. Game five, Monday night. I think it's even earlier, if I'm not mistaken. It's at 5 p.m. No way. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, I but think I think it's at 5 p.m. I think you're wrong, Arizona Mike. time. I think you're wrong, Double Mike. Double check because if, that's, if you have it. That's good for me. 
yeah, I think it may be. But yeah, it's six either way, it's six o'clock Arizona. Time. Okay, it's at six. It's six o'clock Arizona time. If you're going to the game, be loud as hell. Be as loud as possible. This is the most important Suns game since Charles Barkley. I'm gonna say it. So was the last game, the one we're talking about today. But now this is the most important game. This is the game that could get the Phoenix Suns into the NBA Finals. So of course we need the Suns to win this one. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back after Game Five. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.